In today's episode of Men's Bible Study, Pastor John Mark Caton continues in a series entitled Five Pillars of Biblical Manhood and teaches from Numbers 13 to 14. John Mark identifies three causes that move us from being courageous to fearful, which then leads us to three negative results from being fearful. Now let's hear the cause and effect of fear from Pastor John Mark. Uh, good to see you guys. want to invite you to take and uh, grab your copy of God's Word. Open it up there as we uh, continue our series um, uh, just entitled Five Pillars of Biblical Manhood. Uh, and today uh, we move to our third pillar. And the way we've been going through this, if you are new, uh, is we've been looking at each one of the pillars that are listed out in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. And we've been taking each one of those pillars, looking in God's Word, uh, and looking at men or a man who failed in that area. But then we also follow it up the next week uh, with uh, a man who succeeded, some sweet victory. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13 and 14. It says, Be on your guard. We've looked at that. Stand firm in your faith. Be courageous. Pillar, pillar number three, that's what we're going to look at today. Be strong and do everything in love. C.S. Lewis one time when we talk about uh, today and really next week, today is the epic failure in that area. Uh, next week we'll look at sweet victory, sweet success. C.S. Lewis talking about courage said this, Courage is not simply one of the virtues a man needs to possess, but the form of every virtue at the testing point. The form of every virtue at the testing point. In other words, when you and I get to a space in life, uh, a season in life, where we are put to the test, uh, when we figure out uh, uh, really who we are, that is where courage ultimately has to show up. And if courage doesn't show up, we'll fail the test, we'll, we'll shrink back, we'll turn the other way, and at the end of the day, that only cost us. It, it'll cost us, it'll cost those we love, it'll cost our family, it'll cost our kids. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, it'll cost our church, it'll cost the kingdom of God. And when we look today at, uh, at a group of men, not just one man, we're going to look at a group of men, the reality of it is uh, that... A group of men or groups of men can fail together as well. We as God's children here at Cottonwood Creek, the men of Cottonwood Creek, we could in fact collectively fail. When we look at the 10, um, uh, the 12 people really, uh, who journey into a testing point today, we're going to say they didn't all fail. But collectively they did all fail. There were two that held firm. But ultimately, because of the other men that shrank back and didn't choose to do what God had called them to do, they all ultimately failed. And I will tell you this, because they failed, all of their families failed, all of their kids failed, all of God's community failed. And so I want us to think today, as we think about being courageous, I want you to know it's important for you as an individual to be courageous. It's important for me as an individual, as a man, to be courageous. Certainly for my wife, for myself, for my kids, for my family, but also for my church community. That I would, in those seasons of testing, in those seasons of difficulty, that I would be courageous. And then I would also, not only me personally, be courageous, but I would encourage other men to be courageous. That's why something like this is so important. 
that we'd gather together and we'd spend some time in God's Word together. We would collectively in our spirits, in our hearts, in our emotions, in our relationships, uh, in our minds, that we would say, you know what? We're going to stand the test. When we break the huddle here in a few seconds, that we have to leave here individually doing what God has called us to do and standing the test and being courageous. Just like as we looked at football last night, it was so important that when they broke the huddle that every man did their job, right? Every person on the offensive line did their job. Every receiver did their job. Every running back did their job. The quarterbacks did their job defensively that the defensive line did their job, the linebackers do their job, the defensive back do their job, even the special teams, those guys that just had, had, had one skill, go kick the ball, how many of you know? That's all skill they have, go kick the ball. It's important that they would do their job, that they would be courageous, that they would not fail under pressure. And so today as we think about that third pillar, being courageous, we're gonna look at a group of men and my prayer, as I was leading up to teaching this, is that my prayer is simply this for the men of Cottonwood Creek, is that individually we would be courageous in those seasons of temptation, in those seasons of testing, but collectively as men that we would be courageous, that we would succeed in those seasons of testing, that we would move forward ahead that unlike what we're going to see today in the illustration, unlike today, that there would always be more men who are called to be men of God at Cottonwood Creek. There would always be more men that are willing to stand the test, that are willing to be courageous in the face of adversity. And so that's my invitation to you today is that let us individually and collectively be men that are courageous. So as we think about where the example comes from, let's go all the way back to the Old Testament and uh, look at Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to start. And, and for those of you who know, immediately you should say, oh, the burning bush, uh, God shows up to Moses. The children of Israel had been uh, in slavery in Egypt for hundreds of years. God has heard their cry. God did not plan for them to be in slavery. God ultimately planned for them to be in the promised land, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. So God shows up to a man named Moses. Now, if you look before, um, Moses wasn't uh, a perfect man. And if you ever have thought, man, you know, if I just hadn't made this mistake in my past, if I hadn't just done this in my 20s or my 30s or my 40s or my 50s or my 60s, uh, or for some of you back in your 70s, if I hadn't just done that, then God could use me. Man, let me tell you what, Moses was anything but perfect. And when God did show up and call Moses to do something amazing, Moses didn't immediately respond, I'm in. Moses immediately responds with a bunch of excuses. But God looked at him and said, no, I want to use you. I want to use you to lead your family, to lead God's community, from where they are to where I want them to be. And so guys, I'll just simply tell you this, God's got someone for you to lead today. But if you lead and as you lead, you're going to have to be courageous. So let's go back to Exodus chapter three because the topic of the conversation today is not actually about Moses, but I wanna set the stage for it. Here's what it says, Exodus chapter three, verse one. 
It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock uh, to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a burning bush. This is Moses in the burning bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, I love, this is when you know Moses is really a smart dude. He goes, you know what I've noticed about that fire in that bush? The bush doesn't burn up. And he says, hey, how about this? I'm going to go check this out. How many of you have done that? Man, I don't know about you. We, uh, I lo- how many of you just love to sit around a fire, a campfire, and look at the fire? I do that well, out the side of our house. We, we went by Bucky's, bought one of these big fire pits. And I can just sit there and watch the fire burn. And my guess is that's the way Moses was too. Is he just rolled over. He's going to check this thing out. This fire is burning. He doesn't know it's the Lord. Uh, but he says, man, I'm going to go check this fire out. I'm going to go see what's happening. So I love this. It says, Moses thought to himself, I'll go over and see this strange sight and why this bush does not burn up. Says the Lord said to him, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Look at it in verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land. God shows up to Moses and said, Listen. The children of Israel crying out to me because of their suffering, because of their slavery, because of their difficulty. And God says, you know, I've heard. And so guys, if you're in one of those spaces or places of struggle or suffering or hurting or hardship, or you feel like you're enslaved to some passion, some temptation, some relationship struggle, some this or some that, can I tell you, although God may not show up immediately, When a child of God cries out to God, God always hears. I want to say that again. When a child of God, a man of God, a woman of God, a child of God cries out to God in their pain, in their difficulty, in their hurt, in their heartache, God always hears. No doubt there were many uh, who were in uh, slavery in Egypt. They were crying out because of their hardship, because of their difficulty, saying, God, we thought you had so much more for me. Certainly many of them thought, well, God doesn't hear us. God has forgotten. And if you're in one of those spaces today, I want to encourage you with that. God hears when His people cry out. And so let's pick it up. And he says, I want to take them out of their suffering. Look at verse 8. So I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Now, that is a great thing. A land of suffering traded for a land that is flowing with milk and honey. A land of scarcity traded for a land that is filled with milk and honey. A land for slavery that is exchanged for a land that is God's possession for the people of God. And now, notice this. God doesn't say, I'm going to take you to this land and there aren't going to be problems. You know, a lot of times people think, man, when I get to the promised land, when I show up in my financial promised land, or I really begin to follow God and spiritually get in my promised land, that everything's going to be good. Can I show you right here? 
and reminds you right here that even in God's call to Moses to take them to the promised land, God didn't say when you get there, there won't be problems. God didn't say when you get there, there won't be any enemies. God didn't say when you get there, you won't still have temptations. God didn't say when you get there, where I want you to be, that Satan will never show up at your doorstep again. God never said, listen, when you show up where I want you to be, when you serve me like, you want me, like I want you, to be, want you to, when you worship me, when you begin to give, when you are faithful, that all of a sudden all your temptations will go away. God doesn't say that. Notice what God says. It is a land that is flowing with milk and honey, but it is the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So what is God saying? It is your land. It is your place. It is where I want you to be. But don't ever doubt and don't ever question. There are still going to be trials. There are still going to be the enemy. There are still going to be hardships. Man, have you ever gotten to one of those spaces in your journey, in your life, where you're like, man, I am in such a groove with my Bible study, with my worship, with my, uh, man, with my life group, with other brothers, with the men's accountability group. I am faithful financially with my time and every space and everything. And then all of a sudden, you stumble, you fall, Satan shows up and tempts you in a way that you thought, man, I had put that behind me. That's consistent with God's Word. Guys, let me just tell you, I'll submit to you that the more you get in God's will, the more you serve Him, the more you start making a difference in your family, the more you start making a difference in your church, the more you start making a difference in your community, the more you choose to serve God, the more Satan wants to tear you up. How many of you know that? Man, and he may come at you in a way that you had no idea. But I want you to know, from day one, God showed up to Moses, said, I don't want them to be slaves, I want them to be landowners. I don't want them to be in poverty, I want them to be wealthy. But I also want you to know, when I get you from where you are, somebody else's place, to where I want you to be, your place, there's still going to be trials there. God promised them that from day one. God didn't show up to Moses and say, listen, I'm going to take you from slavery. I'm going to put you in the promised land. And when you get there, it is a land that is flowing with milk and honey, and no one else has ever found it. You're not going to have to drive out any enemies. There are no fortified cities. God didn't say that. It's going to be battle. It's going to be a battle to get out of slavery. It's going to be a battle to possess the promised land. The only response to the battle to leave slavery, whatever is holding on to you today, and a battle to get into the promised land that God has called you, the only answer, be courageous. Have some courage. Bow up and be the man that God wants you to be. So, fast forward. Moses is getting all, giving all of his excuses why he's not the guy. God, God sends him Aaron. They go into Pharaoh in Egypt. They deliver the ten plagues. Finally, the children of Israel have come out 
uh, of slavery. They've gone through the Red Sea. They've gone through better waters. They've seen God destroy uh, Egypt, Pharaoh, his army, his firstborn, all of those things. They've seen all the plagues. They've seen God part the Red Sea. They've seen God change the sour water uh, into sweet water. They've seen God take them from bitter waters to an oasis just down the road. Now, all of a sudden, fast forward, the children of Israel are at the edge of the promised land. It is right there. They can smell it. It is just on the other side of the river. And so here we are as we pick it up. Numbers chapter 13. That's where we're going to be the rest of the day. This is what we refer to as the season or the time when the ten spies are called out. So here's what it is. The spies, how were they chosen? If you don't remember how they were chosen, pick it up in verse 1. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am going to, the, going to give to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So God says, Get the twelve tribes. Give me one man from each tribe, one representative of each tribe. Uh, kind of like the, the first deacon body was selected right here. He says, give me one man from each tribe. So the Lord's command, Lord commanded Moses, send them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So God calls these men, one man. Who were the, who were the spies? They were one man from each one of the tribes of Israel. All right, now, notice the instruction. Jump down, verse 17. What were the instructions? When Moses gathered this group, Numbers chapter 13, verse 17. It says, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said to them, Go up through the Negev and on into the country. Here's instruction number one. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak or few or many. And so notice, what is the land like? Verse uh, uh, 19. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? Then he says, Hey, what are the cities like? He says, what kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or are they fortified? Then he says, what kind of soil is there? He says, verse 20, how is the soil? See if it's fertile or see if it's poor. Are there trees in it or are there not? Then he says, hey, uh, bring back some fruit if you can. He says, and do your best to bring us back some of the fruit of the land. Bring us back a fruit tray. In other words, he says, bring back some snacks. All right. So think about it. They selected one man from each tribe. These tribes selected, said, send this guy. He's our representative. He's our representative. He's our representative. Man, not choosing the right people to lead for you can cost you. Not choosing the right people to lead for you can ultimately cost you. Because these guys that were chosen to go into the land... They were supposed to go in there and find out how the land were, was, how the city was, how the soil was, bring back some snacks, and then give us a report, and let's go take the promised land that God had promised to give us, and do your best to bring back some, some fruit. Now look at the expiration, jump down to verse 21 to 25. This is really where we don't want to be. I just want to make sure that you understand the context. It says, so they went up and they explored the land. They did exactly what they were instructed to. When they reached the valley of Eskal, uh, they cut off branches bearing a single cluster of grapes. 
two of them carried it on one uh, on a pole between them along some, with some pomegranates and some figs and a bunch of other stuff. And it said they probably brought, brought beef jerky out of the land. Uh, that place was called the Valley of Eshkol uh, because a cluster of grapes of the Israelites were cut off there. Look at verse 25. It says, At the end of 40 days they returned from exploring the land. They were chosen to represent the people of God. They went in, they explored the land, 40 days, they come back, and here's where the report comes in, and here is where the courage begins to fall apart. Look at it, verse 26. It says, they came back, Numbers chapter 13, verse 26, says they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh Barnea in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them, and to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit of the land. At this point, all signs are positive. Man, we went into the land, all of our spies came back. They have a report to give us. This is the land that God has promised us. Sure enough, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. It is everything that God promised us. It is every place, every kind of a space and a place that you and I can imagine that God would want to take us. And now they've given the report, it is an amazing land. But here's what we have to always remember, guys. Fear can always show up. And courage can always go away. Doesn't matter how strong you are, how long you've been in the faith, fear can always show up and courage can always go away. So as we think about this, what caused these men from being, going from being courageous men who represented a tribe of God's people, who were simply on a mission to go survey the land to see how God was going to give it to them as they fought for it, how do they move from courage to fear? And I think when we look at some things here, it's the same way you and I move from courage to fear. I believe every man in here or every man listening to this, perhaps on Zoom, you know you've been called by God. You know you've been saved by God. But there are certain seasons and certain times in our lives that we look the enemy in the eye and we forget we're a child of God. How many of us understand that? We, we begin to focus more on the enemy than on the fact that I've been called to be the man that God wants me to be. And it can happen to every guy in this room. It happens to me. It can happen to you. It can happen to every guy that you know. And so what causes that transition? What causes me to forsake courage and embrace fear in my life? And I'll just submit it's the same thing that it caused them. Uh, number one, if you just want to write some of these down, I think sometimes I get stressed out by too much information. I get stressed out by too much information. I, I get uh, stressed out sometimes by conflicting information that, hey, this is good and this is bad. And what do I have a tendency to do? Focus on that which is bad. Notice where we see that right here. Look at it in verse 27, Numbers chapter 13. Here's the report. They gave Moses this account or this report. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. And here's some of the fruit. So they said, yep, yeah, you're right. 
it flows with milk and honey. It is a fertile land. The, the, the cities are pretty amazing. It's going to be awesome. And here's the fruit. An object lesson is always good, right? An object lesson is always good. But that's part of the information. Notice the other part of the information. And it always starts with a but. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak. Now, if you go all the way back, a lot of people say, well, who, who are the descendants of Anak? Uh, if you look at the Hebrew word Anakim, it just simply means long-necked. It probably means they were tall guys. They were, they were big dudes. It, it'd be like you and I walking out uh, on, on any given Sunday or any given Monday night, and all of a sudden, most of us, some of you guys would just do fine, but if we all of a sudden ran into an NFL huddle, and we were all just kind of sitting, even the short ones we would look up to. How many of you know are an NBA uh, sideline we would look up? Man, that is who the Anakim were. Hebrew word Anakim simply means those with long necks. Uh, those who are tall dudes. Now, if you go all the way back to, Numbers chapter, uh, to Genesis chapter 6, and you talk about the Nephilim, the Hebrews had kind of this idea that the intermarrying of the, uh, of the sons of God and the, and, the, and the daughters of men, that they were kind of the historical descendants that were the Anakim. Now, that's what the Jews believed, so they begin to develop in their mindset that they were bigger and stronger and more powerful than they actually were. They were just a bunch of tall dudes, all right? They were a bunch of big dudes. How many of you remember a little guy named David and the guy he faced named Goliath? He didn't say he was a little short Goliath. He was a big one, all right? So apparently there are a whole group of people that they said even the tall-necked ones were there. The big ones were there. And a lot of times you and I, we get this conflicting information, this, the, these two separate data points. Okay, I know what God has called me to do, and it does look good, but... It's not without a struggle. And guys, I want you to know, if you ever expect to get anywhere where God wants you to go, and you don't want to struggle to get there, you're missing God's best for your life. The children of Israel were promised the promised land. God, at the very outset, in the burning bush, said there are enemies in the land. But God said, I will give you the land. But I won't put the spoon in your mouth. If you'll stand up and courageously choose to pursue God's best in your life with courage, God says, I'll give it to you. But if you're going in fear, turn and walk away, God says, I'm not going to force you to go in there. I'm not going to force you to be the man that, God, that I want you to be. I'm not going to spoon feed you. I need you to bow up. So what causes oftentimes fear to replace courage? I think sometimes conflicting information. Man, it would be nice for God to give me that. I feel like God is giving me that, but there's trouble in the land. I think there's a, a second thing. I, I think we sometimes develop a limited mentality. Some have called it a scarcity mentality. A, a mentality that maybe I'm not enough. That I'm not enough. You say, where do you see this? I, I see that in verse 29. 
They said the Amalekites live in the Negev, along with the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. By the way, that's exactly what God told Moses at the burning bush. They live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along all the Jordan. I just thought as I was prepping for this, man, despite God's promises, they said the people in the land are strong. Despite God's power, the cities are fortified. Despite God's presence, there don't seem to be any vacancies in the land. You know, it's almost as if what they were wanting is there all of a sudden to be this open, empty space with all this land that was flowing with milk and honey where there weren't any enemies in the land. They wanted a big no, they wanted a big vacancy sign is what they had. But the problem is they went into the promised land and it said no vacancies. On the hills, there were strong people. In the cities, there were strong walls. Out in the plains, there were people there. Over by the sea, there were people there. They wanted a big sign that said, vacancy right here, children of Israel, this city is open for you. This plain is open for you. This hill is open for you. Guys, I want you to know very rarely are you and I are going to show up to places that there's going to be a big vacancy sign up. Oftentimes, when God calls you to do something, you're going to, with your earthly eyes, look at it and say, I can't do that. There is no vacancy right there. But guys, don't ever doubt God's provision in your life. It doesn't matter if it looks like someone else got there first or someone is already there. If God's called you to it, God will give it to you as long as you will be concerned, uh, courageous. Now, here's the third thing I noticed. First of all, I get conflicting information. Yes, it's good, but there are enemies in the land. Secondly, I begin to say, well, someone's already there. There are no vacancies. And then third thing, I think, uh, I begin to fulfill my own self-defeating prophecies. Guys, let me ask you a question. What is it that keeps going through your mind over and over and over and over again that is a self-defeating prophecy in your life? Something like, I'm not good enough or I'm not as good as this person, or I can't do that, or perhaps this one. I've tried that before, or I've seen other people fail. I will tell you, every guy in this room has a self-defeating prophecy that rolls around in your mind. Every guy in this room. Some guys are just better, better at hiding it than others. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We all have something that we think that is a hill of failure. That is a place where I've failed before, and if I try it again, I'll fail there again. And a lot of times, guys, we live in our own self-defeating prophecies, our own failures and sins of our past. And that's exactly what happened to the children of Israel. Pick it up in verse 30. Notice it says, Then Caleb silenced. I love this. This is Caleb. We're going to look at him next week. Then Caleb, he was one of the twelve, along with Joshua, silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, today we're talking about epic failure. Next week we're going to look at sweet success. We're going to look at basically Caleb and Joshua next week. But he says, We can, cer we can certainly do it. But notice, he expressed courage... But then courage was rejected. Look at verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him, the other ten spies, 
said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. Now, I want you to know, when you and I fail for God, typically it's because there is some truth mixed with some lies. How many of you know that? There is some truth mixed with some lies. And they said, we can't go up there and fight against them. They are stronger than we are. Now, what is the truth? They are stronger than we are. Guys, the truth is, the reality of it is, there will be times that God calls us to do something as men that we aren't strong enough to do. Or we aren't strong enough to do it alone. But let me tell you what, if God has called you to do it, and we are faithful and we are courageous, God is going to enable us to do it. All He might need to do is put the right set of men around you, the right people around you, the right people around me, and then all of a sudden, that which was impossible becomes very possible. Caleb understood this. Guys, it doesn't matter. They've already built the cities for us. All we got to do is take them. They've already built the irrigation system for us. God is going to give it to us. We can do it. Then the other men said, we can't do it. Why? Because of a lie. The truth was they were stronger than us. The lie is we can't win the battle. And guys, I want you to know there are a lot of times I believe that you and I, if we aren't careful, we can fail to become the men that God wants us to be because of that same thing. Satan loves to develop a concoction for you and I to drink of both truth and lies. The truth was, they were stronger than the children of Israel. The children of Israel had been slaves. They weren't warriors, they weren't fighters. But that didn't mean that God hadn't called them to them. And God wouldn't enable them to win. And so thought, man, I oftentimes become the fulfillment of my own self-defeating prophecy. And so guys, I want to encourage you, just write down, what is it that keeps going through my mind that keeps me from being what God wants me to be? And I bet you a dollar, you say, what's the truth in that prophecy? What's the lie? The truth might be I've failed before. The lie might be I'm going to fail again. The truth might be, I got embarrassed last time. The lie might be, I'm going to get embarrassed again. And so as you think about that, listen what happened. Conflicting information began to doubt themselves. And now all of a sudden, there was some fulfillment of self-fulfilling prophecy of failure. But here's the problem. If that were not bad enough... When men don't step up and become the men God wants them to be, it gets worse. Everybody say it gets worse. You want to know why it gets worse? Because of the failure of these men. A generation of the children of Israel die in the desert. Can I tell you that? It gets worse. When God's men don't step up, this is bad enough. I mean, think about it. These dudes went into the promised land, brought back the fruit. Forty days they were over there. They walked from here to there, they went there, and they saw it all. They tasted it, they smelled it. 
Can you imagine for the next 40 years you're journeying around in the desert where there's no water, no cities, no agriculture, no nothing. God's feeding you a little manna and a little beef, every day, a little food bird every day. I mean, God's feeding you. And all of a sudden you're sitting across from your grandchildren or your children and they're, and they're going, tell us about the promised land again. Oh, more grass, the grapes, the fruit, the cities. And then your grandkid looks at you and says, tell me again why we didn't go in there. Dads, your kids are asking you the same questions. You're feeding them spiritual crumbs. You're giving them a taste of spiritual water. When God wants you and your family to be in the promised land. See guys, when you and I fail, it's bad. But the problem with when men aren't courageous is it gets worse. You want me to show you worse? It's right here in Numbers chapter 13. Here's thought number one. What happens to others when men of God fail first? My fear becomes contagious. Write that down. My fear becomes contagious. Look at it in Numbers chapter 13, verse 32, and it says, They spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored, and they said, This land we explored devours those living in it, and all the people we saw there of great size. What happened? It became contagious. It says what? They spread among the Israelites a bad report. Let me tell you what. Our fear, our failure is contagious. And don't ever forget that. It will be a contagion on your kids. It will be a contagion on your wife. It will be a contagion on those at the office. Don't ever think that your failure and your fear isn't contagious because it is. And it will hurt the generations to follow. Here's the second thought. My fear always makes problems bigger seem bigger than they are. You say, where do you see that? Look at in verse 33. It says, we saw the Nephilim there and the descendants of Anak. There it is, I just said, the tall neck ones uh, who come from the Nephilim. That was always kind of their belief. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Now notice in each one of these, there's a little truth and a little lie. They were tall necked. They were bigger than we were. That's true. But the lie is, we seem like grasshoppers. That's a lie. You might have seemed short. You might have seemed small. But they didn't look at you and say, grasshopper. How many of you remember that? Here's the reality. What happens? When we begin to fear and we don't choose courage, our problems get bigger and we get smaller. These guys had so let fear overwhelm them that they had spread their contagion of fear to others around them. And then they begin to make the problems bigger and themselves smaller. As a child of God, we can never let that happen. We can never inflate the problems and shrink the people of God. And here's the third thing as I thought about it. My fear makes others miserable. My fear ultimately will make others miserable. You say, where do you see that? Look at it in Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. It says, that night, all the members of the community, 
raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness somehow. What happened? Because of my fear, everybody else became infected. Because of the group infection, because of my fear of making the problems bigger and us smaller, we all became miserable. And so what happened? It says they begin to throw a pity party. How many of you know what a pity party is, right? What always accompanies a pity party? Look at it right here. Crying? What did it do? It says they wept all night. Why? Because they were grasshoppers. Were they grasshoppers? No, that's bull. They were supposed to be men preparing to go fight. Instead, they shrank back, inflated the problem, doubted God, made everybody miserable. Man, what an incredible opportunity you and I have, guys, to not be miserable, but to instead be courageous. And when we are courageous, we are faithful. And when we are courageous, faithful, we ultimately are victorious. And that's the way God called us to be. But think about the pity party here. They cried, wept all night. They complained, became complainers. And what happened? After they cried and ultimately after they complained, then at the end of the day, they began to second-guess themselves. As I think about it today, let me ask you a question, guys. Are you throwing a pity party because of some failure in your past, some struggle in your past? Are you finding yourself weeping at night? And when you think about crying, then you complain. What does it do when you complain? You're blaming someone else for your failures. Guys, the best thing we can do as men of God is we can own them. Man, if I contributed to a failure, own it. Don't blame others. What did the children of Israel do? They began to point at Moses and Aaron and other leaders. You brought us out of here. And then notice what they said. It would have been better for us to die in Egypt. I will just tell you, had I been Moses, I would have thought to myself, and I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> I wish I'd have left every one of you skunks back there. And so what do they do? They blame Moses. Moses just doing what God called him to do. Take him to the promised land. They're choosing to doubt and fear. And then notice this, man. My fear ultimately makes everybody miserable, and then it tears others down. Look at it, verse 10. But the whole assembly talked about stoning Moses and Aaron. Man, think about how this. God had brought Moses from a burning bush, through the ten plagues, through the Red Sea, through the bitter waters, to the oasis, right to the promised land, who God had promised there would be enemies in the land. And then all of a sudden, the men failed and weren't courageous. And for 40 years, the children of Israel suffered. Here's how I want to close, guys. With an invitation. Are you willing to be courageous as an individual? But more importantly, as the men of Cottonwood Creek, are we willing to be courageous together? and go into the promised land spiritually and physically and relationally in every space in every way and seize what God has promised to us. Because if we don't, 
Others are going to be miserable. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. God, I pray that as we leave here today, we'd be men of incredible courage. We would seize the opportunity to be the men that you have called us to be and you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless, guys. Be courageous today. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.